Turn to Jonah, book of Jonah. It's in the Old Testament. Maybe you're familiar with it. It's okay if you need to use the table of contents to find it. It might help you get there a little quicker. Maybe you have an app on your phone that will help you get there really, really fast. Uh, either way, turn to the book of Jonah. We'll be in Jonah for the next two weeks. So you've, you're, you may be familiar with the story. I, I kind of hope that you are uh, so that I don't have to do a lot of teaching or a lot of uh, your reminding. But, uh, but um, if you're not, we'll hopefully cover everything that you need to, to know about Jonah the prophet. So we're going to be in Jonah chapter 1 this morning, uh, continuing on with our slow series that is proving to be slow in itself. And uh, we'll be in part two of what we call obedience. We're talking about obedience. Last week we, we tried to sum up for you or the thought of really the greatest commandment. Oftentimes, I'm just going to put this out there, but in Southern Baptist world, we feel like the greatest commandment is the Great Commission, but the Great Commission is not the greatest commandment. Uh, it is a commandment. It is a, a, a an obeying, something that we should obey, but the greatest commandment, Jesus said himself, is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, everything that we are, and to love, and the second is like it, to love our neighbor as ourselves. So the Great Commission, for those of us who are confused by it, is an as-you're-going commandment. So as you're going and loving God with all that you are, you're going to be obeying Christ and making disciples that will obey Christ. So the great commandment is not the great commission. The great commission and the great commandment, they're not separate. They work, they work together, but oftentimes in Southern Baptist world, we put disciple making above being obedient to Christ because we think the great commission is the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with everything that you are. Second is like it, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. And then as we're doing those things and as we're going going, the great, the great commission comes into play. As we're going, as we're putting into practice our obedience to Christ, as we're going, uh, then we're going to be making disciples and teaching them to obey all that Christ has taught us. So if you're in Sunday school, uh, our Sunday school discussion, uh, the questions that go along with that, if you're not in Sunday school, the discussion questions are back on the foyer there, or you can find those online. Uh, one of the questions that we want to really key in on about this obedience stuff is, are we being obedient to Christ's commands? So, so next Sunday in Sunday school, you'll, you'll come up with a list of what are the commands of Jesus? And am I putting those into practice in daily life? Am I following these commands that Christ has, has commanded me to follow? And so a great example of disobedience. I think that's kind of how we work. We love to find out who's disobedient and not be like them. Who gives us our worst example? Let's not be like them. Let's, let's at least say, hey, thanks be to God, I'm not Jonah or I'm not Matt Thackerson or whoever. Like, thanks be to God, you know, we use these terrible examples because that's kind of the world we live in. So we'll, we'll use the, the, the example of disobedience from Jonah. We'll kind of study about uh, what his life was like. There's two words that I want you to be thinking about. I want you to think about the word consent. And I want you to think about the word delight. As we're going through the book of Jonah this week and next week, uh, this story of, of what, how, how God uh, used, despite who Jonah was, used his life, uh, think about the two words, consent versus, versus delight. So Jonah chapter 1. We meet up with this prophet. It says in verse 1, it says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... So verse 1, a couple of things to point out already. So we have that God is speaking to Jonah. 
that now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. A question for you this morning. Do we still have the revealed word of God? Sometimes we get confused. Well, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? What does God want from me? Uh, is God calling me to do this? Is this the Lord's will? How are we going to find out these things? Most of the times we just go by our feelings because we're not sure if we actually have the revealed word of God. Is God speaking to us still today? Hebrews 1, I hope maybe clarifies that for you, that he still is speaking to us today, that we still have the revealed word of God today that we can trust in. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, the second thing I want you to key in on verse 1 is this. We have this prophet named Jonah. Uh, Jonah is also found in 2 Kings 14.25. It says this, Jonah, he restored the border of Israel, talking about God, he restored the border of Israel from Lebahamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath Heifer. So we have this story about Jonah, an actual a prophet of God, a prophet who, was dear, who, who lived during a time of really prosperity, uh, li- lived during a time of, of national pride. Uh, the Israelites were making a name for themselves or making a name for the Lord. The Lord was using them. And in 2 Kings, we see that he was expanding their borders. And Jonah was the prophet that got to go share that. Hey, guess what, guys? Good news. The good news is that God's going to expand our borders. He's, he's going to give us more uh, land. He's going to give us more property. We're going to be a bigger nation. We're going to uh, make a bigger, better name for ourselves. So Jonah's day was a time of great prosperity and national pride. One author says this, times of prosperity are often accompanied by selfishness, religious syncretism, and social injustice. So despite the greatness of what was going on in Israel's life, Despite that Jonah was this prophet who got to share this good news of Israel's land expanding, there's still some sin rising up among God's people. Times of prosperity are often accompanied by selfishness, religious syncretism, which means that we have this, uh, uh, we're not sure where the religious lines are drawn. We, we all kind of blend in together. We've got a little bit of uh, Islam and a little bit of Buddha and a little bit of Jesus all kind of mixed together trying to make this religious world work. And then we have much social injustice happening while prosperity happens. Do we see that in our world today? I would argue with you, yes, we're seeing that happen daily in our world today. So Jonah, the son of Amittai, what else do we know about him? Uh, And this may have nothing to do with the whole story, but I do think it's interesting. Jonah and Amittai both have meanings, just like your name has a meaning. I remind you all the time, my name, Matt, means gift from God, and I know you understand that, right? You see it. You see it every day. So our names have meanings, and Jonah's name means dove. It's the, it's the Hebrew word for dove. So if you saw a dove outside, you would say Jonah. You would say, hey, there's a Jonah. It's dove season right now. It's Jonah's season right now, right, Clay? I mean, it's time to go hunt Jonah, right? And so dove, Jonah means dove. What do we know about dove? Well, dove in the Old Testament, it's a clean animal. It's an animal that can be eaten. It's clean. It can also be sacrificed. What else do we know about dove? They're a passive animal. They're a, they're a friendly animal. They're an animal that often represents peace, right? You know, how many times do you see a dove, like, uh, it's not a predator or a prey, a, you know, a, a dove or a bird of prey. Instead, it's a bird that's often fleeing from, from the scene. But often it's a 
and, and we see it throughout Scripture. We see the dove representing peace. Think about Matthew 6, 3.16, where uh, Jesus is being baptized. Remember this moment where we kind of see uh, for the first time, we see the Trinity being revealed. Uh, Jesus is being baptized. God speaks, but also his spirit descends upon Jesus. The Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove, right? Matthew 10.16, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to send you out. Be careful. There's wolves. There's serpents. There's all these things out there. And you are to be innocent as doves. And so we see that this imagery. So we have dove, the son of Amittai. And Amittai is an interesting word. It actually means truth. So we have dove, the son of truth. This prophet who's supposed to be bringing good news, truth, of uh, maybe of, of peace even. Uh, but he tends to, uh, to, or in this case, in this story, rebel against that. Hey, you're supposed to go offer peace, uh, but, he, but instead you become this passive uh, prophet who, who tries to run away from things. So verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying this. So here we hear, uh, in verse 2 we hear, we begin to hear, God speaking to the prophet Jonah. Maybe audibly, uh, some way he speaks directly to, to Jonah. It says this, Arise, go to the city of Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So God, Yahweh, speaks to Jonah, and he says, Arise, go. It's a pretty clear command. It's pretty simple. It's like, here, get it and go. Here's, here's the message. Here's what I want you to do. Put it into practice and go symbolism or connection with the New Testament. We have disciples uh, who are following Jesus, who I mentioned to you earlier. Christ commissions them and says, go, or as you're going, this is what you're going to do. So God is commissioning Jonah, arise, get up, go, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. So we know a couple of things about this great city. It is a great city. It's a capital city. It's it's well known. And it's also an evil city. Uh, a number of things are coming out of it that, that are proving it. It's evilness. And so in this moment, Jonah has to come to, to an agreement with the Lord. Am I going to hear his commission? Am I going to hear his words? Am I going to hear his call or his command? And how am I going to, how am I going to respond to that? You and I are living in the same thing daily. If we're wanting or desiring to walk with Jesus, we have to come to a moment where we can say, Am I going to respond to the call of the Lord? How am I going to respond to the call of the Lord? And then if I was in student ministry, I'd make a joke about these next two words, but because I'm not in student ministry anymore, I'm an adult, I have to be mature. Verse 3 says this, but Jonah. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So if you underline or highlight or mark anything in your Bible, verses 1, 2, and 3, I want you to highlight these things or underline this. Now the word of the Lord. Underline, circle, highlight the Lord. It's important. He's the subject of this this first verse. Uh, Verse 2, arise, highlight, underline, mark, circle, arise, go to Nineveh. This command is clear. The Lord told Jonah to arise and go. In verse 3, but Jonah, uh, highlight, underline that, Jonah thinking in his own thoughts, his own feelings, rose. He did rise. It's interesting. Jonah did follow the command a little bit. A little bit he followed the command, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So highlight or underline, circle, rose and the Lord there at the end of that sentence. 
But Jonah rose. And he did not arise and do it as the Lord said, but instead he, he rose to flee from, from the presence of the Lord. Now, what do we know about the presence of the Lord? What has Scripture told us about the presence of the Lord? What, what has Job told us about the presence of the Lord? You cannot flee from the presence of the Lord. And you would think that a prophet would know these things. You would think that a prophet who's being used by God, who just heard God speak to him, would be reminded of those things that you cannot flee from the presence of the Lord. But instead, he decided to be disobedient, and he decided to try to flee from the presence of the Lord. What are we learning today, even, as we're walking and growing with the, uh, with the Lord? We're learning that we cannot flee from the presence of the Lord. He's everywhere. The Old Testament tells us that, and the New Testament tells us that. Just go to the words of Jesus from the Great Commission. What does he say? I'll be with you everywhere you go. I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to depart from you. I mentioned to you last week, John 14, 15 says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So you will obey. If you love Christ, you will obey him. And it's interesting. He follows up in verse 16 and he says this, John 14, 16, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So you will not be on your own. We cannot flee the presence of the Lord. But for, for some reason, Jonah thought he could. He said, uh, you know, in his, in his own thoughts, in his own mind, in his own spirit, he thought, I'm going to flee from the presence of the Lord. I'm going to disobey and go in the opposite direction that Christ or God is calling me to go to go in. Verse 3 again, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Verse 3 ends with, with the phrase of away from the presence of the Lord. Who is it that Jonah is fleeing from? It's not necessarily the Ninevites. It's not that he loved Tarshish. Tarshish had six flags and he wanted to go there or had great coffee or whatever the case may be. No, he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. So we have to come to understanding that if we have the revealed word of God, which we believe is this holy Bible, if we have the revealed word of God and God has spoken to us and he has commanded us to do things, he's commanded us on how to live life, how to walk with him. When we live in, in disobedience to that revealed word of God, it's as if we're fleeing like Jonah from the presence of the Lord. I hear what you're saying, Lord. I see what you're saying. I've read it. I understand it, but I just don't agree with it. So I'm going to flee from you. I'm going to try my best to flee from your presence. Disobedience always tries to go or tends to always try and go in the opposite direction. So in a moment of reflection or thinking through your heart conditions or your heart issues, am I being obedient to Christ? What has Christ called me to do? Am I fleeing from this and going in a different direction? Am I going somewhere else? I mean, Jonah had mad. He had mad determination. Sometimes even disobedience will cause us to go out of our way, even out of our own comfort zones to avoid obeying. I mean, maybe if you, if you have kids, you, you, you recognize this or had kids or grandkids, whatever you want to say, or maybe you're a teacher in a classroom. Uh, you've seen it. Uh, when someone, you give directions and you want them to obey, but they really don't want to obey, they do their best to avoid the, to avoid the directions or avoid obeying. And you find yourself saying, normally I wouldn't be in this place or normally I wouldn't drive this way or normally I wouldn't say these things. Normally I wouldn't do these things, but I'm trying to avoid something. So I'm going out of my way, even out of my own comfort zone in order to be disobedient or in order to not uh, be obedient. I mean, think about it. What's so appealing about Tarshish? What's so appealing that the prophet belonging to the Lord who just heard the Lord speak 
who heard his command clearly, who knows what he's supposed to be doing, is, a, is attracted to, for whatever reason, to go to a different place. What could be so, so appealing about Tarshish that he would completely disobey the call or the will of the Lord? Did he, was it the fact that he knew that no one there would know him? He goes down to Joppa, he looks around, and he recognizes that no one else uh, around him knows who he is. He, he took off his, his pastoral or his prophet name badge. He doesn't have his prophet clothes on anymore, so nobody's recognizing him as a prophet. Hey, let me go somewhere where no one can recognize me at all. Somewhere new, where I can just maybe blend in. And maybe if I'm blending into the people, the Lord will look right over me. And how many of you in this room have ever had that moment? Where you're thinking, maybe if I, even if I go to church on Sunday morning, despite my disobedience, maybe the Lord will just pass over me. He'll, he'll ignore, he won't even see that I'm here. But that's not how God works. It's not how a relationship with him works. He forms you. He knows you. He knows where you are at all times. He knows everything about you. There's not a thought that goes through your head that he doesn't know. He knows everything about you. You can't flee from his presence. You can't go to Tarshish. You have to, or you can't flee from his presence thinking that Tarshish will be that place. We joke in our family with some friends a lot uh, that Jonah is completely going on feelings here. Like his gut reaction. I hear the Lord. I don't want to do that. So my gut reaction is to go do something else. And maybe you've had some kind of food at some point that, that uh, really caused like some, some acid reflux in your life. And like you ate the food and you're like, why did I make that choice? Cookies and cream, ice cream and a, and a stuffed sopapilla. They just don't mix and I knew better. And then you ask for help. Like, what do you need? Well, you need an antacid. And so we joke in our family and say, uh, you know, like, like Jonah, like Jonah should have done. He should have taken a Tums before he went to Tarshish. So Tums before Tarshish. Forget your, your feelings. When you hear a call from the Lord, even if it's as simple as love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as you love yourself, and you start to fight that and say, well, yeah, but do you know my neighbor? Or maybe you even fight it and you say, but do you know myself? How could anyone love me? How could anyone love my neighbor? How could anyone love enemies? When we start to try and disobey the commands of the Lord, maybe it's at that moment, symbolically, you get on your knees and say, I need the spiritual tums. I need the, the feelings that are rising up inside of me to be calmed down by the Spirit of the Lord and His revealed Word, what He desires of me. I remember when we were... When we were thinking about uh, returning to um, whew, the great state, this just right over here, Texas, and uh, we were out in California. We had been uh, serving in Albuquerque. We're out in California for a for a, uh, a conference, and I just really wrestling, Lord, what do you want me to do? Uh, we have this opportunity. Is this even from you? Is it just feelings rising up? Uh, what do you want us to do? We walk into Saddleback Church there in California, and they have their own little cafe. Maybe you've been to their place, and it's it's ginormous. It's it's anyways. I uh, walk into their little cafe there at Saddleback Church in California, and I look up on the on the menu because we're ordering lunch, and there's a, a, a you know a variety of things on the menu and one of the things that really just stuck out to me was this West Texas burger Lord do you want me to go back to West Texas hey or do you a West Texas burger now in that you have to discern is this from the Lord or is this from Joe who, uh, who makes good barbecue and puts it on his barbecue menu like is this from the Lord or is this from somebody else is this Satan tempting and distracting or is this a revealed word from the Lord if we were to base everything on the West Texas burger 
we wouldn't be basing it upon God's revealed word. Oh, at the moment, but the revealed word of God was on the menu. Does it, go with, does it go with what God desires for us to do? The calling, the will for our life. Are we following or are we being obedient to God? I mean, Jonah could even say this, right? Well, I went down to Joppa. I went down to the store, to the ticket master, where I'm going to buy a ticket for, for Tarshish. And I kept saying, maybe in my head, like, if he doesn't want me to go, he's going to stop me. And then I bought a ticket. I mean, I bought this ticket, and look, there's a ship ready, and it's going to Tarshish. And maybe this is, maybe this is what I'm supposed to, be, supposed to be doing. It's a difficult moment. You've been in this, trying to discern the will of the Lord, the call of the Lord on your life. And I would urge you, take a Tums before fleeing to Tarshish. Take a moment. Get into some silent moments. Reflect upon God's word. Study his revealed word. Study his desire for your life. What is a follower of Jesus? What should a follower of Jesus uh, look like? What should, they, what should their life be all about? And then in that moment, then determine, is God calling you to go to Tarshish? One commentator says this, that, uh, that obviously Joe's, Jonah spent money on his ticket. He paid his fare to go. Uh, he, he even possibly chartered the entire ship. He may have been the only passenger on this ship. One commentator thinks that, that maybe even Jonah had to sell a lot of things. Maybe all his things. Maybe at the moment he knew, like, I'm not going back to where I was. Like, if I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord, I need to sell all my possessions and never return. So he sells, maybe possibly, sells all his possessions with the idea or the thought that he's never returning. Which is interesting to think through. Because if you think about what Christ was calling us as followers of Jesus, there's moments where he may call us to sell all our possessions. So in a sense, this prophet may have been doing a good thing. Maybe even a godly thing. It just wasn't at the right time. I'm going to sell all my possessions and go to this foreign land. I'm going to be a prophet maybe even in this foreign land. Verse 3 ends with this though. It says this. He tried to flee away from the presence of the Lord. Why is Jonah doing all these things? Like we try and justify and we come up with great ideas for our life. Uh, I'm going to do this because of this or I'm going to do this because of this. But our whole life needs to be based around the presence of the Lord. Not fleeing from the presence of the Lord, but being in the midst of the presence of the Lord. Verse 4, verse 3 ends with the Lord, and verse 4 begins with the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. So this, this moment where, uh, where Jonah is being disobedient, and in his disobedience, maybe he sold possessions, he had enough money to buy to buy a ticket, get on the boat, and in this midst of fleeing from the presence of the Lord, God threw upon him and others in the midst a great wind. He hurled it like a spear at the ship, and the ship threatened to break up. I don't understand why all this is going on. Like I, I feel like uh, this is a good way, this is a good, a good, a, a good uh, position for me to be in, or a good place for me to be, be in. Why are all these things? Why are all these things happening? But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. We get confused with Romans 8 when we think everything that we do, Lord, I hear you. I'm doing my best to be obedient to you. Why aren't good things often happening to me? Well, my first reaction always is to think, Lord, am I, am I being disobedient to you? When a wind happens, when things are threatening to break up, Lord, am I being disobedient to you? The Lord hurled, the Lord threw, the Lord threw it like a spear, this great wind upon the sea. Do you see who's acting in this moment in verse 4? It's not Jonah. It's not Mother Nature. 
It's not a, it's not a Al Gore, but instead it is the Lord who is acting. The Lord is the one sending this great wind. Like, do not forget, follower of Jesus, how powerful our God really is. You cannot flee from his presence. You cannot know all the things that he knows. You cannot even imagine the majesty and power and the might of our God. He knows where you are at all times. And if, and if need be, he can throw a great wind upon you in order to get your attention. Unfortunately, there were some men on the boat also that were affected by Jonah's disobedience. I think for a moment about your disobedience. How often does your disobedience affect others? I mean, often we see that, that when we're disobedient, others, the wind affects them also. Verse 5 says this, Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And I thought it would be funny to say, if the mariners were playing the rangers this week, they would not be afraid. But in this case, the mariners were afraid. And each cried out to his God, little G. Remember Jonah, the prophet who heard from the one true God? God spoke to him. These mariners, these sailors, begin to cry out to little false prophet gods. These gods who are idols, these gods who have no power. The prophet Jonah, who has had relationship with the one true God, who has his revealed word, who knows what he's supposed to be doing, what is he, what is he doing? It says this, the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled, like the Lord hurled or threw a great wind, they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. They began desperate measures. Or maybe if we get rid of these things, almost a, a point of maybe sacrificing in a way. Maybe if we throw these things into the water, maybe it'll calm the water. Maybe this will help our, our travel through life. We start trying to get rid of things. And even in slowing down, we talked about being simple. We're talking about being simple and, and, and looking toward the simple moments in life and trying to get rid of the many distractions. And maybe there's a point where you do need to hurl things out of your life to try and uh, smooth the sailing. But if you're not obedient to Christ, all those things that you're hurling out into the sea will not matter. It's interesting, I think, kind of a little side note about this hurling stuff here, is that we often hurl back, right? When trouble comes our way, when we don't understand things, when things aren't going the way that we think they should, we run, we hide, we hurl back. It's the flight or fight or fright mechanism that's inside of us. We don't understand something, so we begin to fight against it. We don't understand something, so we just run from it. We don't understand something, so we hide. We, we stand there or, or we hide because we're frightened by what may be. You can hurl all you want, but if you're not repenting and being obedient to Christ, none of those things matter. You can run. You can hide. You can try your best. I mean, Jonah's in the midst of the worst hide-and-go-seek ever. He can't hide at all. He's frightened. These sailors are frightened, so they do the things that they know to do. Uh, the, the wind is being hurled at us, so hurl things back at it. Oh, Lord, you said you're going to be with me all the time, but I don't feel your presence right now. Oh, Lord, you want me to love my neighbor, but do you see how difficult it really is? Oh, Lord, you want me to do these things, but, but how am I supposed to do them? I'm, we begin to hurl things back at the Lord. And then some of us just take Dramamine. Some of us just try and medicate ourselves. Some of us just try and sleep off uh, the moment, thinking that we can sleep through and just forget about all of it. 
Here we go again. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. And again, if I was in student ministry, I would point out to you, it says this, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. How was he fast asleep? Did he take Dramamine? Because he knew he was going to go on a boat. Did he take Dramamine so he'd, he'd sleep through all the things? What was it? How could he sleep? If, if on top of the boat, all this drama is going on and they're, they're scared for their life and they're throwing things off, how is it that Jonah's at the bottom of the boat? And it can't be that big of a boat. How is it that he's on the bottom of the boat sleeping through the entire thing? Jonah is asleep. And let me just tell you this. Rebellion, specifically against the revealed word of God, leads to restlessness, exhaustion, sleepless nights, depression, all these things. Jonah is in rebellion. And out of his rebellion, he's completely exhausted. Years ago in student ministry, we had a student that uh, confessed to uh, a number of other students that, uh, that he was contemplating suicide. And as he was talking about his experience and talking about uh, the drama that was going on and, and why he was contemplating it, what his plans were and all these things, and we're trying to counsel him as a youth group and as adults and trying to uh, contact parents and get him in the, in the right place for the right help, all those things, one of our students stands up and says, I have something to say. I have something to say. This has been on my heart for, for months now. And I need to express what's going on. And she also had been struggling with that and had even attempted suicide at a couple of, a couple of moments in her life and was really wrestling with, uh, wrestling with her relationship with the Lord, uh, his desires for her, her life, all these things. After she confessed those things, she said, I just feel relief. For, for months now, I've been wrestling with the Lord. And I'm so exhausted from it. Can I just go to bed? Sure, we're at camp, just go to bed. She goes to bed the next morning. I ask where the student is. Like, man, she's still asleep. Uh, hours to go by. She needs to be at class or whatever the case may be. Like, where, where is she? She's still sleeping. She had been wrestling so long that she was exhausted from her wrestling and rebellion against the Lord. I mean, I don't know your life personally, but, but I would tend to say, like, if you have restless nights, if you're constantly exhausted, First and foremost, check your relationship with the Lord. Lord, am I being disobedient? What does your word say? What should I be doing? What should my life be looking like? Who is it that I'm fearing? Who is it that I'm worshiping? What is it that I'm worshiping? I mean, Jonah in this moment, he doesn't have a false uh, idol there in front of him that he's, that he's looking at and worshiping, but he is allowing his pride to rise up and his self to rise up and become, and become the God of his life. His self rising up saying, uh, what my thoughts and my feelings are more important than, than what the revealed word of God says. So Jonah is asleep in the bottom of the boat. Men, sailors, afraid for their life, fearing for their life, crying out to false idols. Do we hear a world that's doing the same thing? And the believer, the one that belongs to God, is, is trying to sleep it off, trying to uh, pass through and, and flee from the presence of the Lord. Verse 6 comes and says this, So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Why are you sleeping? How can you be sleeping? And it's interesting, his word words similar to the words of the Lord in verse one in verse two arise call out to your God perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not that we may not perish I mean this desperate pagan sea captain at this moment begins to outshine the prophet of God he begins to see, in this moment, we cannot depend upon ourselves. Call out to a God. Maybe some God will hear us. Maybe some God will answer us. It's interesting. Because I think believers have this same thought too. 
Uh, we, we know, this sea captain knows. He's saying, call out. Not, not tell him what to do. You can't dictate to a guy what to do. He's going to do what he wants to do. But at least call out and plead to him, Lord, if it be your will, or God, if it be your will, if you would save us, please, please save us. Smith and Page say this, there's an extreme irony here. A heathen sea captain pleaded with a Hebrew prophet to pray to his God. It is, it is sobering to see one who might be termed as an unbeliever pleading for spiritual action on the, on the part of a believer. The unbeliever saw the gravity of the situation while the prophet slept. It is a sad commentary when those who are committed to the truth of God's word have to be prodded by a lost world into spiritual activity. Here's this moment when the one who had a relationship with the God, who had God's revealed word, was trying to sleep through the situation. Lord, blind my eyes to it almost. Let me not see what's going on. But instead, this pagan unbeliever says, open up your eyes. See what's going on. See the gravity of the situation. Call out to someone or something. Maybe they would, maybe they would rescue us. And I hope in our context today we're not that people. But I would say this, church, as a gathering, a body of believers that meets here at the corner of 2nd and Washington, one of the things that I see desperately is us praying to the Lord of the harvest that he might send more laborers into the, into the fields, into the harvest. So that the will of the Lord can be accomplished. So that the mission of God can be fulfilled. That, that we have the revealed word of God. We have no excuse. We love God with everything we are. We love our neighbor as ourself. And we move through. And as we're going, we're making the disciples uh, that Christ desires for us. Desires for us to make. We often think that we can tell God what to do. That we can tell him where we're going to live, where we're going to play, where we're going to work, where we're going to serve, etc. We think that we can tell him. Even this pagan, unbelieving uh, ship captain knew. Don't try and dictate to a God. Instead, plead with him. Lord, have mercy. God, have mercy on us. Let your actions be good for us. Let your will be done. I I would ask you this question. Has the Lord called you to do what you're currently doing? And if it wasn't the Lord who called you to do it, then who called you to do it? If it is, by any means, if it's yourself, repent of that. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I confess my sin for you that I'm trying to control and run my life. I've called you, Lord, and so let you be Lord of my life. If the Lord has not called you to do what you're currently doing, then stop and ask the Lord, Lord, what do you desire of me? Verse 6, the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Wake up, arise, get up, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought that we may not perish. Verse 7 says this, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Again, desperate measures. Let's start rolling dice. Maybe at some point these dice will reveal to us who, who's the cause of this great or terrible storm. That's, who's the one that's bringing evil upon us? That we may know this so that we can take care of it. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Again, another moment. Jonah thought he could flee from the presence of the Lord, but it seems seems like even in this moment, divine intervention happens, and the lot fell on Jonah. And verse 8 says this, And then they said to him, Tell us on who account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? Where is your country, and, what are your, and who are your people, or what are your people, what people are you from? 
And it's interesting, this whole time, Jonah has been avoiding these very questions. Maybe you've been on a plane before. Maybe you've been at the, on a bench at the mall. Or maybe you've been in some place where, uh, where there's a large gathering of people and you're doing your best just to blend in. Maybe it's a Sunday morning worship gathering. Maybe it's Sunday school evening. Uh, even, uh, that you want to just blend in. Like, I hope nobody asks me those, those terrible questions. Like, what do you do? Uh, how's it going? Like, tell me about it. Like, really, what, what do you mean? I mean? One of my favorite questions to ask is this, hey, how are you doing? And then, and then when I hear, oh, I'm doing good, I like to respond with, what if I told you I didn't believe you? Like, I, I want to know deeper. I want a, a, more, uh, I want a more, more honest answer from you. T- tell me what's actually going on. And here's Jonah living and fleeing in disobedience fleeing from the presence of the Lord, and up until this moment has been completely silent. The Lord spoke to him, and he was silent. The captain spoke to him, and he was silent. Uh, these mariners, or the, uh, the men that are on the ship, they had no idea even who he was or what he, where he's from, uh, what, what his occupation was. He'd done his best to be, to be silent. He did his best to avoid all these, all these questions. And I would say this, silence and avoidance may be a sign of your disobedience. When you avoid people, particularly people belonging to God, when you try your best to remain silent, and it's not a vow of silence or a moment where you only want to hear from the Lord, uh, it could possibly be showing us a sign of disobedience. And I would say this, when we as pastors or Sunday school teachers or brothers and sisters in Christ, when we see someone avoiding, when we see someone remaining in silence, first question, are you silent because you've taken some vow of silence? Are you silent because you're a Zachariah and the Lord has muted you? Or are you avoiding the will of the Lord? Jonah finally answers, and he gives us this great confessional moment. This great confessional moment. Verse 9 says this, and he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. Highlight, underline, circle the Lord. The God of heaven who made, by the way, the sea and the dry land. It's becoming more and more serious for these sailors. They're seeing the uh, actual gravity of the moment. Jonah in his disobedience, by the way, even continues to confess the Lord as his Lord. So don't just think for a moment that rebellion only comes pre-salvation. But, but rebellion also happens post-salvation during the process of sanctification as you're walking through the journey uh, that Christ has called you to be on. You can be confessing Christ, but still fleeing from His presence. You can still know that the Lord is your Lord, but still trying to flee from His presence. And this is where disobedience becomes a, a, a terrible problem for those who confess Christ as Lord. And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who, by the way, made the sea and the dry land. Jonah, in the, uh, in the, in the time of his trying to flee from the presence of the Lord, uh, particularly only uh, the Israelites were only people of the land. And so to get on a boat and go somewhere else was really outside of his character. And so he says, uh, yeah, not only am I Hebrew, people of the land, but also you need to know that the God that we serve is also the God of the sea. Verse 10, then the men who were exceedingly afraid 
Uh, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? It's even more serious than we thought. And at that moment, they began, their fear rose uh, even greater than they were fearing at the moment. The wind was scary, but to know that the God who controls the wind and the sea and the, the land, the one true God, was in control of all this moment, everyone's fear levels rose greatly. What is this that you have done? For the men knew that that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Verse 11. He's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. And then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come to you. It's interesting. It sounds like a good solution to the problem, right? I mean, many of you are like, hey, he just said throw him over. He just said hurl him. Like this wind has been hurled at us. Like we threw those, uh, the cargo over the ship. Now it's time let's throw this guy over overboard. I mean, it sounds fun, right? I mean, if we knew of someone in this room right now that was uh, living in full disobedience and causing, uh, causing First Baptist Lovington not to, uh, to be on the track that God wants us to be on, like we would say, hey, who is it in here that's living in disobedience? Raise your hand. Let's throw him overboard. We, we, we would be quick to do that. It's interesting they, their response, these unbelievers' response. He said, pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Even in this moment, even in Jonah's confession, even in this moment, he still has no delight in the Lord's will for his life. He has no delight in the Lord's will for his life. He's consenting to it. He's coming to a moment, he's like, okay, fine. You know what? Fine. I've sold everything. I've got on this boat. I'm trying to flee from the presence of the Lord, but it just ain't working. So you know what? In this moment, may my life just be taken. He's come to the end of his life where he's saying, you know what? This is it. Like, this is the moment. But it's interesting. He still takes no responsibility. Walk the plank, Jonah. Jump overboard yourself, Jonah. Take some radical action. But instead, he says, you know what? If you'll throw me over, then maybe, maybe the sea will quiet down. Uh, Why is he doing that? Why is it that he's trying to still pass the blame or put it on somebody else and not take responsibility for the moment? He wants to play the part of the victim. He's not consenting necessarily, or maybe he is consenting to the Lord's will, but he's not finding any kind of delight in it. Hurl me over, pick me up, throw me, throw me over sea. Verse 13 says this, Nevertheless, the men rode uh, harder to get back to the dry land. They tried their best. This is they dig, they dug into the water. They tried their best. They had these, they had their best efforts to try and get them back to dry land. You, you want us to throw you over? But it ain't going to happen. Like We're not going to uh, allow you to, to die in this moment. Like That's not going to be on our hands. We're going to try our best. Author says this, superficial solutions to the entanglements caused by our rebellion and disobedience seldom work. Maybe your exhaustion in your rebellion is because you're trying to dig into, if I just try harder, if I just do more, if I get distracted like Martha was distracted, if I just do more and more and more and not rest in what God has already told me to do, if I do more and more, maybe then I'll find a peace and calmness. No, instead, repentance often requires radical action. Lord, I know my sin. Lord, forgive me. I've been disobedient. Lord, forgive me of what I'm trying to do. Forgive me for trying to escape your presence. Forgive me for trying to rebel against you. Let me no longer rebel against you. Verse 14 says this. 
When they figured it out that they couldn't row back to shore, verse 14 says this, Therefore they called out to the Lord, to the Lord, to Yahweh, the God that belongs to Jonah, not to the ones that they've been calling out to before, but they're recognizing that those who they've been calling out to before aren't working. And so let's call out to the Lord, O Lord, O Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life. Let his sin not be on us and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord. Have done, O Lord, have done as it pleased with you. They're coming to this moment like we recognize, Lord, you're great, you're powerful, we fear only you, you are the Lord. Let not this man's sin or rebellion be on us, let not his death be on us. And so what do they do? Verse 15, so they picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then what happens? The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Not that Jonah wasn't a good sacrifice that they just threw over, but instead they recognized, no, this God, this Lord, this one true God desires or, or deserves all of our worship. We make vows to him. We confess our sin. We, we say we want to follow you wholeheartedly. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. Let us, let us uh, live lives according to your word and your desire. It's interesting. I think Jonah says this. Okay, fine. But you guys will have to throw me over. Let me get to the New Testament. Matthew 12, 41 says that uh, Jesus says that there's something greater than Jonah that's here, and that is Jesus. And Jesus' attitude is so different than just from consenting. Jonah consents, fine, I'll do this. Like we talked about last week, I love you, but I don't like you right now. Fine, I'll do this, but you guys are going to have to throw me over. If you really want me to do this for you, Lord, you're going to have to really just forcefully make it happen. Jesus, the greater example, the one that we should walk like, the one that we are disciples of, Jesus says this, thy will be done. And I'll walk, and I'll carry my own cross. And he tells us that I self take up cross and follow him. We'll end with this. Think for a moment about Jonah, about his love for the Ninevites. There was absolutely no love for the Ninevites. Jonah had been trained since birth to recite daily the Shema, to recite daily, love the Lord your God with all that you are. He's a prophet. He teaches that as well. He knows what his life should be about. Daily, Lord, I'm going to love you with everything that I am until you tell me what to do. And then at that moment, I'm going to decide for myself, do I actually love you? Do I want to obey you? I mean, Jonah, in his disobedience, sells his possessions, let's say. Pays money for something. Even comes to a point where the sea and the wind is going to break it. What does it say? It's going to break apart the ship. The ship is, is looking like it's going to break apart. What happens if that happens? Everyone dies. So Jonah's like, okay, fine. I'll come to a moment where I've sold all my possessions and I'm willing to even give up my life for you so that you will be saved. It's interesting. 1 Corinthians 13, 3 says this. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love the Lord your God with all that you are. Love your neighbor as yourself, following through in obedience to those things. Jonah may have sold everything for Tarshish. He may have said, throw my body overboard that you might be saved, but he did not have love. And so what did he gain? 
but we can finish the story next week. Let me just tell you this. This is the story throughout the Bible. This is a story throughout time. Adam rebels against God. Israelites rebel against God. Jonah rebels against God. Pharisees rebel against God. The prodigal son's brother can't find joy in his son and his brother returning and being saved. Rebels against God. And then me, rebelling against God. And then you, rebelling against God, being disobedient to him. My plea to you this morning is this, that you would see the desperation in your life the need for desperation in your life to be obedient to God and God alone. That you would study his revealed word. That you would see the worth and the beauty of Jesus and Jesus alone. You would hear his words, his revealed word to us. And you would say, Lord, help me not to live in disobedience. Instead of fleeing from your presence, Lord, let me flee to your, run to your arms. Let me be in your presence daily. Let me be learning from you. Let me repent of my ways of myself, and we trust in you and you alone.